Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Your move, creep. Take me to the volcano! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Come with me if you want to live. This town needs an enema. Dr. Kid, I need a bacchiatomy. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. I got a bad feeling about this. So it's come to this. It's very mysterious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hello, hello. Hello. Uh, Charlie's feeling amorous I, for reasons. <laughs> so yeah, right. Sultry. Suddenly, I got really like, oh, <laughs> how do you do? Deepest and uh, charming. He's talked all evening. What can I say? Uh, I'm Eric. I'm Charlie. And it's come to this. We're here in kind of our impromptu series talking about movies that uh, from the past that are suddenly a lot more relevant uh, than they even were at the times they came out. Uh, Situations that seemed unrealistic 30 years ago and are now too realistic in present time. So kind of uh, one that we thought of a couple weeks ago that otherwise probably wouldn't have crossed my mind for a while to do, but suddenly it seemed super relevant and super poignant is The People Under the Stairs. That's right. Which is an uh, early 90s Wes Craven favorite. Is this our first Wes Craven I movie can't on believe the, it, on the but podcast? Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed our first. That's why I said it was unexpected. Our first Wes Craven movie, I was not expecting it to be People Under the Stairs. Yeah. <laughs> I love Wes Craven. I, yeah. Obviously, the Nightmare on Elm Street stuff is great. but well, That's why it's so surprising this one got you know, it, because so- since we started uh, off-air, we've talked about you know, the idea of doing Scream has come up like every 10 episodes or so. Definitely. And Nightmare on Elm Street's one, both one of our favorite all-time. All-time. Horror classics. The whole series, up, you know, up until about uh, five. Five, which has, you know, the Kelly Joe but, uh, Minter crossover here. But yeah, through four and even, you know, after that, New Nightmare. It was a nightmare. durable series. But so, yeah, we're big Craven fans, but I wasn't expecting us to go people under the stairs yeah this one uh was this a hit i'm not even sure yeah i mean uh craven was really dependable for for low budget high drawing movies during this era it's kind of forgot you know his post nightmare (laughs) gets a little more murky with stuff like uh, deadly friend you know but he made money the one I remember these. that was totally left field was the uh, Serpent in the Rainbow. Yeah, but that was a hit too. Good, good movie though. He was making based these, on a hit book. Yeah, totally. He was making these five to six million dollar movies that were making you know eighteen million, which is good. And People Under the Stairs was one of those. It's not remembered as a big success, but it cost like five or six million, and it made twenty five million. So it was a big, and for ninety one, that's a big horror hit. You know, that was he did Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah, that That's was great. that was Craven's first big not a hit. Uh huh. That was that was the first of his to really That's bust. <laughs> Even stuff like Shocker was very profitable. So his late eighties, early nineties period isn't talked about anywhere near as much as, uh, you know, Scream. Well, because or, Scream was such a Nightmare, huge. Yeah. I mean, because yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street is iconic. Freddy's iconic. And Scream is iconic, that that killer, Ghostface or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> so to have a the, guy make two separate iconic yeah. franchises in horror like that. Um, Any yeah. other genre director that only had this, the box office success of Shocker 
<laughs> and people under the stairs and those movies like that guy would be viewed as like oh that guy is a bankable b-movie director right but the fact that it came right during the middle of two absolute iconic horror staples it's totally talked over any other any other director this would be like an impressive work of genre so yeah. people under the stairs uh we both have kind of a young relationship with this movie that's why it does kind of make sense that we're doing this one first. I, I have a deep relationship with with the movie's uh, poster and, and yeah. VHS box art. I don't think we're alone at all for being kids that were attracted to the, the shelves at, you know, video rental stores. Yeah. The horror section where we weren't really allowed to rent stuff from, at least I wasn't. No, but you could walk down that aisle. Yeah, you could walk. Yeah, the aisle wasn't behind a curtain. You could see it. And um, this was this was definitely one of I think both of ours the boxes that were really captivating. Yeah, if, if you if you're not familiar with kind of the big cover art of this, it is one of the great kind of skulls floating above a, a really ominous looking house. Oh yeah, and I loved anything with a, a skull on it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, well yeah, those were so many of my favorite ones when I was you know eight to eleven years old. It was like the popcorn cover. Yeah, with the woman removing a. Half the face. I'm trying to remember. Was skull face? Was it like graveyard shift or night shift with the skull with the yep, miner's with the skull hat? With the miner's hat. Yeah, uh-huh. stuff like that. And uh, the phenomena movie when it was creepers. When it was oh, all did that the, have a skull? Yeah, it had all the you know all the big swarm of bugs that she created. And right, half a right. skull kind of thing. And it was oh, those were all my favorites. That stuff really drew me. These in, movies but... that I was not allowed to. <laughs> yeah, but rent. This... But I could look at like you know the big covers and the three to four pictures on the back and just like yeah. this is the scariest thing possible. Yeah, something about the the whole composition, the skull. It's got this kind of cloudy, dark, you know, almost purple background behind it. The house glowing. Yeah, it really. I remember that one in particular. Just like what? Who are the who? Who are the people uh-huh. under the? And stairs? this one, this what was another this one. That, this is a movie that aired ads during uh pro wrestling yeah I so those i, I would see those too. like a lot more and the ads you know i had no idea what was going on it was dark there was flashlights blaring into the screen with the people banging underneath it yeah it seemed crazy it does seem and so crazy. i avoided this movie i didn't watch this until i was probably in my 20s but that box it's so memorable it had this great tagline the uh uh something like in every neighborhood there's a house uh, that adults whisper about and the children avoid. Mm-hmm. Children cross the street to avoid. You know, it's just like I would read all these. You know, uh. <laughs> I like I like uh, those kind of setups. The the house in the neighborhood. Yeah, you know, the it has that. Uh, the burbs has that. Oh yeah. The the not exactly the haunted house, but rather the house of death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that no, I, I'm a sucker a great, for that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a great bit. And and I was always just intrigued by this movie, but it took, I, I think I avoided it because I was a uh, was being a fraidy cat, you know. Well, I definitely as a kid, I I would not have been old enough to rent this, and then I think mm-hmm. it just kind of, uh, it, yeah, it maybe never showed up on TV. I didn't really think about it until I, it even was, recently. It I, was I, more I, that I was just you know diving back into yeah. Wes Craven. Right, in my twenties, right. and then was like, you know, remembering this movie, and honestly, wasn't as impressed on the first viewing. I think I'd built it up so much. This kid in my class had seen it, and it scared him to death, and 
you know, again, the poster was scary to me. I think I just hyped it up in my head as this thing that scared me as a 10-year-old. Right. Well, yeah, but, but then you're an adult watching it. And, uh, yeah, this movie is pretty wacky. But had I seen this movie when <laughs> I was 10... Oh, for sure. It would rank as one of the most terrifying movies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It had so much stuff that scared me. The idea of passages in a house, hidden rooms and oh, yeah. hallways. And People in the walls and stuff. Uh-huh. Definitely freaky. Very, very scary. If I had seen this at 10, it would be the movie that I would... Oh, know, yeah. It would be my it. Well, that's true, too. I had, I had as a kid, such a like intruder... Uh, yeah paranoia thing of yeah yeah people getting in and stuff so yeah i'm kind of it's probably a good thing i didn't watch this yeah too young it's, i'm 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 pleased because now uh watching it back and i'd probably hadn't seen it in eight years when we watched it earlier and way more into it really loving it i always loved the performances from wendy roby and everett mcgill oh man. legendary we'll get into more of them but Way more of it worked this time, and again, it it's part of, because it seems so much more relevant now than it shouldn't be. This movie is all about wealth hoarding, mm. and class division, and the evil landlords who just keep charging more, even though they know these people have kids, these know, they know they're already struggling, these no excuses wealth hoarders. Right. Yeah, we set, we actually start in the ghetto in this uh, yeah. in this movie, and our main uh, protagonist is Fool, a young child, uh, <laughs> black kid living in the ghetto. Yeah, and Mama, they give his him mama's some... sick. There's about ten kids sleeping on couches uh, throughout the living room. Dude, Fool walking through his uh, with the crackheads on the stairs, his lobby and yeah. staircase to get to where he lives. They really packed that scene full of junkies and prostitutes. Yeah. That looked like there was a forty-person party happening in one stairwell. It was popping off in yeah. that in that lobby for sure. Yeah, yeah. people were doing some open-air uh, drug <laughs> deals. Um, but yeah, Fool is uh, seems like a nice kid. He's thirteen, um, but he gets roped into some crimes from uh, Ving Rhames. This is a, and uh, I, I got to tell you, this is probably our first Ving Rhames on the podcast too. It is, and there but... is just something about that Ving Rhames. He is like. This teddy bear of an asshole. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how else to put it. Thing Rames is black Brian Dennehy. I lo- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not bad. It's not bad. It's not far off. This made this movie might have been my key to unlocking and finally realizing just how great Ving Rames was. Oh man. And really how legitimately untouchable he was during this era. This is like, yeah, this was a crazy run for him because he had uh, Jacob's Ladder, hmm. uh, I think the year before this, which is great. And then Homicide, the awesome David Mamet movie, People Under the Stairs, which is an incredible per- Ving Rhames performance. And then uh, then Pulp Fiction and uh, Blood In, Blood Out. Oh, yeah. Another legendary My Buddy Carlos movie. Watching that over at his place. Totally. That and Pulp Fiction. So Ving Rhames is a guy who was And then was right like, about then, he would have won for uh, playing Mike Tyson's manager. Oh, Don King won? Don King. Yeah, yeah. When he wins the Golden Globe and then gives it to Jack Lemmon. <laughs> yeah. What Legend. a dude. What a dude, Legend. right? He's... One of my all-time favorite moments. Yeah, he's so cool. And yeah, like I said, big part of me watching these R-rated movies at my buddy Carlos's house when I was 
12, 13. It's like Ving Rhames is the dude that kept turning up. Yeah. He's, I got to see Pulp Fiction. That's, you know, Marcellus is infamous, you know? Yeah. And Blood In, Blood Out, like, not a movie that I probably should have been watching at 12, but Carlos's (laughs) apartment changed that. Oh, and Bringing Out the Dead. Oh, yeah. 99. His nine. His and Con Air, man, Ving Rhames' 1990s is so good. And now what's he doing? Just got got that little Mission Impossible series. Oh, yeah, that, that he little keeps showing series, up right? <laughs> I'm just I'm Ving glad how okay. uh, durable Vic, <laughs> Vic yeah. Rhames' career is. Ving Rhames is doing okay. I'm really I, I don't know. I love this, him. this and this movie is so good. He has so many non sequiturs, and it's <laughs> so many. This came out right during a time where there was really important movies about. Uh, the black experience mm-hmm. you know boys in the hood was around do this the right time. thing do the right thing new jack city like this is all right in that same three-year stretch and this movie gets really overlooked but it it is tackling serious issues and ving rames is this his character just tells it like a tius like he is <laughs> he is blunt yeah this guy is wizened well he talks to this 13 year old like he's a 20 year old kid yeah you know and he's just like i know where you can earn some money yeah he's he's, you're talking to a child sir (laughs) you're basically enlisting this child to be your criminal protege whoever he's just being so smooth about it (laughs) yeah whoever wrote for ving rame's character in this i don't know how much was him and how much he it was the perfect casting right and he has like a couple of these lines it's like who is coming up with this stuff? <laughs> when he when he they're doing the stakeout of the creepy house in the neighborhood, and he says, "Yeah, and maybe the president will name me secretary of pussy." <laughs> <laughs> Only Bing can give the you that secretary of pussy. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's the cabinet position he takes. <laughs> Who wrote that? Wes Wes Craven, Wes Craven wrote that, baby. sir. Oh my god! I don't know. Maybe Ving came up with it on on the That's set. That's such a line, man. That is such a line. That's like uh, that's like the the line that Terry Funk came up with in Roadhouse, where where John Doe calls Patrick Swayze chicken dick. Right. Terry Funk's like, hey, this would be. This would be a good one, guys. Oh my gosh. So already this movie's like the the messages are really strong. The the current relevant to our society now messages are are right there. Yeah. And hit hev- hit even heavier now than they did thirty years ago. Right. The idea is the kid's about to get evicted, they they can't pay their rent. They, the mom the, has cancer. Mom's dying, the the landlords want to turn it into, you know new office you know buildings right. and get they want to gentrify to the the neighborhood all stuff that in 1991 i apparently was also going on as it is in 2020 i've seen all these old 80s and 90s episodes of tv they all have an episode where a family's neighborhood is getting turned into yeah. like condos or something well, that was pretty much all of good times right yeah <laughs> you know i watched you know stuff like highway to heaven they had that big one where my mm. grandma's getting, you know, this is the neighborhood she's lived in for 60 years. That kind of, that was a thing in the mid-80s. Right. It is getting nothing but worse. Also a thing in the mid-80s, which maybe is not surviving today, is the, the rich landlords are known to have a supply of gold coins 
on Dude, them. <laughs> they, I am such a big fan of Wes Craven turning them into just the worst Scrooge McDucks. <laughs> With their, it's like John Waters doing a Scrooge McDuck family. Absolutely. Just this... Gray Gardens mansion squalor. Yeah. Mixed with a weird uh, prison house. Yeah. Amazing set design in this movie. Uh, what a piece. The house. Yeah, you know, it's it's great. This movie is great because we get right to it. You know, you get the setup of why this kid is going to be you yeah. know, helping Ving Rhames. This movie really does dive in. Burgle hard. a house. The, the idea is to go to the landlord's house. They know where it is. They're going to rob it. Yeah. They know they have these gold coins. And 20 minutes in, you're in the house. Yeah. Like you're where all, you will spend much of where, the rest of the yeah. movie, and the yeah, the whole the the it's funny. Our last episode was get out. This is get in. <laughs> this is yeah. this is uh you. The only way out of the house is in. Yeah, uh, what, that, that is the deeper, line. Right. Sometimes you got to go in to get to out. Get out. Wait, wait a minute. That's such a that like. Doesn't sound right at all. Go where the Six, water is. Sixty percent of the time, it works every time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she really does. Uh, we get a uh, a great cast in this movie. Yeah, this cast outside. Let's I know I've re- let's meet the rest of our people. Nothing the but here. Ving Rhames, which is understandable. Well, unfortunately, he doesn't last too much longer when we get into the house. That's yeah. the problem. Is that Ving Rhames spends almost as much time as a dead body. He's got some great dead body work, <laughs> as though. he was as a living body in this. His movie. dead body Spoiler work is alarm. strong. Strong, strong sliding down the stairs that this turn guy into takes some bumps, man. As as a dead body work. Yeah. yeah, this guy takes some spills. You know, as a dead body, his his Just limp his limp blood dragging body <laughs> puts on a show different to then his smart mouth non sequitur wisdom. Yeah, but this is also this this is nothing but great character actors because you get <laughs> directly from Twin Peaks, Wendy Roby and Everett McGill. Yeah, like he must have literally just watched Twin Peaks and said, "Yeah, yeah." He uh, the that's what the IMDb uh, trivia says. He right. Wes Craven literally saw them play. Uh, <laughs> it's the same Ed year. And Nadine. It's the same year. It's ninety one. It's the year. Yeah. Ba- yeah. Year after. So they're so. doing. This, I just love that they're appearing uh, in canon as husband and wife across media. Well, we think they're husband and wife. <laughs> yeah. Oh, spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! But they're <laughs> as so good as they are on. This is really their characters on Twin Peaks. Taken to a whole next dark level. Like, oh man, this is them unleashed as a couple. I uh, I think Everett McGill might be the most overlooked genre actor oh, he's great. of the 80s and 90s. I don't know what happened to him. His his uh, resume really drops out after Firewalk with me. He just retired. Um, But he's... he was, I mean, he's great in Dune, obviously, but I just watched uh, Silver Bullet recently. Oh, yeah. And he's amazing in that. And Big Ed on Twin Peaks is really one of my favorite characters. And his return mm. in the return of Twin Peaks, when you see old Ed. Sure. And it was even really beautiful other cool stuff. stuff like Quest for Fire. Quest for Fire. You uh, know? No, the guy's an awesome career. I just love him. I think he was just one of those guys that wasn't, you know, he wasn't an L.A. guy. So he just, you know, wasn't did his thing deep in the acting scene. Yeah. But here he's like a crazy but horror he is movie. Absolutely unhinged in this. He's movie. like horror movie David Byrne. Yeah. Like he is such a it's such a great use of a Lynch character in a different universe. Yeah, he's a total Because he's got that same on. slick back haired suit where you know, he wouldn't look out of place in blue velvet. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't look out of place in any of that any of those kind of 
villain David Lynch roles. Yeah. But here it just has like a different layer of weird because it really seems out of the universe. Yeah, his character and and uh Yeah, Wendy Robbie. Wendy Robbie. Oh they, my god. They are just uh they're almost cartoonish. Like yeah. they well, actually they really they, <laughs> they are really cartoonish. Are. There's a lot of this We've, they turn out to be the the evil landlords, and they are uh, they're bad people. This is his chance to really do that Wings Hauser Bugs Bunny oh, yeah. kind of villain, and he gets even more Bugs Bunny villain than Wings Hauser can get. He goes Bugs Bunny. I got a I got a strong Adam West vibe. There was in a, watching Everett McGill in this movie. Yeah, like, yeah. The way that he plays Batman so straight in Zoinks Boink sixty uh, six <laughs> Batman. That I got a lot of those strong, like playing it totally straight while you're getting uh, hit in the nuts by a little kid and having to be like, wow, wow, wow. He really <laughs> did do like a straight up Milton Burl triple take to the camera face. <laughs> yeah. McGill is king sized in this. It's a, it's insane. He's got that great tall guy presence, you know, with that cool uh, built but lanky build. Yeah. You know, and him running through these kind of tight hallways in this decaying family's wealth generation uh, mansion. Oh, it's some of the weirdest visuals in a movie because it's so manic. He brings this crazy manic energy. Yeah, no, movie. he's never like not uh, clenching his jaw and just, yeah. you know, uh, he's, he's basically having heaving like orgasmic uh experiences he's like a slightly more presentable member of the family in texas chainsaw massacre yeah he's like the public face there's of the the family that's that's like how he plays it there is a there is a definite part of this movie that made me think of you know wes craven finally got to do his texas chainsaw massacre (laughs) psycho family yeah he did the hills have eyes and he he's not immune to that but this is yeah, the, the the secret passageways and the people captive uh, in the basement and yeah. the inbred psycho family, all very strong. I had this recurring nightmare when I was But like kid. Adam West is... Adam West has the... Like, yeah. <laughs> so, so I had this recurring nightmare, uh, which had to have predated this movie. And this certainly didn't help. I would have, <laughs> you know, this is like that nightmare that you have like several times as a kid, you know, mm. and you remember it and recognize it. Right. I had this one of me trying to get out of a room, like a basement, and that they're not being stairs. It just being a ramp, like a steep slide. In this movie, as one of its props, has a staircase that turns into a slide. It does. Oh, my God. I feel like it has a few staircases. It does. Like several staircases. This is a great... There's Turn into slides in this The one. way they quickly shoot these hallways, like, they don't ever attempt to make the layout make sense mm-hmm. you notice that oh yeah and i think it, oh, th- yeah. this crazy maze like <laughs> house through miles it. of uh, in between the walls uh, yeah. passageways in one house yeah i'd love to see someone try to do like a, a cut out like uh you know see see all the passageways map kind of blueprint of the house because yeah. it's pretty yeah the, yeah, I wish it they had the same level of fan much. devotion as like The Shining did in unwrapping this uh, this right. freaking house. But I love that aspect of it, whether it was intentional or not, and I think it must have, to show these long, dusty, decaying hallways, which really felt like something out of you know one of the Freddy movies. 
ironically, one of the Freddy movies he didn't do. Right, right. That feels like the kind a, of thing you see nightmare. in The Dream Child with that old decaying house. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it is it is one of those where the movie is so wacky and then you kind of realize, oh, we are also experiencing this movie through the eyes of a 13-year-old. You know, yeah. That, you almost forget that this kid is our main character. Uh, this is a pretty strong kid. Uh, uh-huh. Especially for I, a movie that's like, you know... Uh, a Wes Craven movie with the black kid as the main protagonist. I mean, it's a pretty they, bold move to come out with a new horror movie and make your primary character like a 12-year-old kid. Yeah. <laughs> That's a getting, big getting risk. Getting roped into a crime. and You and, make a, a rated R horror movie, yeah. and the star is like a 12-year-old kid. Right. That is... That's a crazy project to take on. It is. I don't think that would be allowed by a studio today. They're not going to give their money to somebody like that. So I like that he had the clout to be like, look, I've done nothing but make money. Let's yeah. take, uh, take goes, some risks. Home Alone meets Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The movie did get very Home Alone. There's that By too. the end. It I is love the ho- I don't love the Home Alone stuff as much as I like the overall message and how they tackle it. Right, right. Of this movie. But they took a lot of risks. This is a weird movie. It's a by, weird movie. By 1991 theatrical standards. Absolutely. Yeah. I can only imagine, uh, you know, I haven't really looked at like reviews or what people thought. It's It's got a 6.4 on the IMDb, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this was one of those where people were just like, what the, what the fuck's going on well, here? Well, that's why, I mean, it was, again, There's... it was a big hit, but I don't know. I don't remember seeing it having as big of a, like you said, cable TV right run or anything like that i don't know why i'm not sure if it's ever gotten a proper like resurgence in kind of the you know the cult status like mm-hmm. i don't has there ever been like a it's, definitive blu-ray or something i mean on sure a... yeah it's it's not forgotten you know yeah. it was a popular movie and it's been treated as such but it doesn't seem to have the same kind of fervent following yeah. as some of his others which you know again just like shocker was a big theatrical success that has its fans right. but it's not Craven just has so much stuff. Well, also this movie, like we've talked about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We've talked about Home Alone. There's also like these kind of cannibalistic zombie type people in the basement. We there's do a, have a bunch. We do a have a bunch of chuds in the basement. Like, yeah, there's there's just maybe maybe there's a little too much. <laughs> there's a, the movie tackles a lot, right? Even having the whole honestly. And I, for the this listener, sounds I, bad. For the listener, I was like waving my he hands. He's really in the doing air, a like lot of hand description right there. Here. Yeah. Was, nobody else saw that, but he was really doing a lot of overtime like, hand yeah, dancing da, 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 da. to to get me into the his narrative. You know what I mean, bro? Um, honestly, the movie as a whole might actually be improved ditching the people under the stairs. <laughs> exactly. Like I think get rid we of had those enough material. We could just have had this with no title. Should have just been called the people above the stairs. Yeah. No, I don't know. <laughs> The, the real memories were the people above the stairs. Yeah. That, <laughs> Those but, were the real characters. But I mean... No, I know, know what you mean, though, because that was a very confusing... You know, we have this guy, Roach, who's apparently a kid that they kidnapped, and he escaped, and he's hiding in the walls. They have a daughter, Alice, who they've obviously kidnapped and are keeping as a daughter. Yeah. Then they have... Somewhere between six and thirty-six people There's under like the stairs. There's like dozens of these people just living in the basement, and they all seem to be um, like grunge yeah. aficionados who have been kidnapped within the last year and have been stuck in there, and they've turned into zombies, or are they cannibals, or are they just like not getting any sunlight? Yeah, they really. 
Are they mutants? What's going on there? I've never been into the people under the stairs portion of people under the stairs. And they're... they're I love, like, everything about the movie except the exact name of the movie. Like, those... And then the few times you see them, they're grunting and pointing like apes, like... Wait, are, have you just been here all this t- since you were a baby? Yeah, it's a quest for fire who are under you? the stairs. I'm still the kid in the video store going, who are you? What? What is the people? I've never... I don't pe- understand. Why are they under the stairs? I don't understand how their civilization has declined so, so rapidly. rapidly. So quick. They get flashlights. Yeah. And At least Plato's cave it up, you know, do some... Some shadows on the wall. Something's oh, got to be happening. They down are. There. They're like even. They move around like they're the the apes in two thousand and one. It's it's it, so wild. Yeah, it was like the uh, oh God the the creatures in the uh, time machine. You know when he goes forward yeah, in time. Like and the orcs. Like, yeah, there's just these <laughs> Morlock. Yeah, the Morlocks in the in the basement. You're like, really? Yeah, that's pretty extreme. But okay. Yeah, but here it's I've, like that happened in six months to these guys. Yeah, I've never totally understood the people under the stairs in the people under the stairs. All right, I'm glad I'm not alone in that. Then. No, I've. Uh, you don't even need them really for the allegory, because it's like sure they've been uh, used for parts and kicked aside, but it's like you have the whole actual neighborhood, right, of suffering people right there. Who get their big moment in the end, and they're more just like the weird Earth girls are easy aliens leaving the house. Like <laughs> I'm confused by this world. I've been in this basement for four months. Yeah, that whole that yeah, the whole ending where uh, the, the the people get out from under the stairs. You're like, well, there's how you get chuds. Yeah, <laughs> you want chuds? Here's how you get That's chuds. How you got chuds. Just walking on the streets wearing their their lanes. St- they all look like Sebastian Bach wearing white pancake makeup with grunge sweaters exactly i like, couldn't the look was just like where were they shopping for these people under the stairs they, are, they all got like long axel rose hair <laughs> and but not beards they're, they're they're not growing beards the overly white pancake they were all men right so, there was, yeah there were no, no there women under the stairs debatable there's one who i see walking from behind it looked like she was wearing kind of a okay a potato sack dress uh mm. Unconfirmed. I'm sure Unconfirmed. one of them was a woman. Okay. But uh, they're treated as basically we'll, genderless. We'll use in the, the movie. they, them. Yeah, fair enough. But the people under the stairs in this movie are kind of distracting from the movie. We already got Roach, the leader of the people under the stairs. Yeah, you got, you, you have, the, yeah, Alice is a, is a strong character, this abused girl who thinks that these people are her parents and they're clearly not. And, yeah. And, uh, our fool, our, our Wendy main guy, wants... and ever, her abusive parents who yeah. keep her locked indoors 24 right. 7 that's another horror so movie really, angle that's scary to me yeah th- that that in of itself the scene where uh everett mcgill's about to hit her with the, the, the belt belt around mm-hmm. his oh, that's really that is the scariest part yeah of that that's movie. why that stuff is uh hard hard to watch this movie when you think about it, its r rating it's really for some a pr- couple of pretty violent killings mm. for a movie that plays so silly you know there's some like Big gunshot deaths and some big stabbing deaths. A lot of red. There's yeah throughout this movie when the gore Peppered gets going, in. it happens because there's there's no sex, there's no real language. It's all for the like manic energy and right, right, <laughs> like right. gun deaths. Basically, it's like Everett McGill and just the creepy vibe of Wendy Roby pushed it into an R. It's really not that far from being 
you can cover this up and make it PG thirteen. Yeah, but I it think, feels kind of more. Uh, I think Fool drops an f bomb at the end. There's maybe one or two f bombs that that probably pushed it over. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it is. It's a weird line of wacky characters, and then this really searing, intense <laughs> yeah. Everett McGill. You know, he he can just he's he's doing both. They're both. He doing goes both. silly, and then he goes like really scary. Yeah. Really quick. Yeah. And Wendy Roby, she's very much has that. She's kind of over the top and kind of. Uh, uh, she's Wendy Roby in this movie, basically. Yeah. She yeah. is like an unhinged version of Nadine yeah. on Twin Peaks. And she, this is her best role. This, she's great. The scenes where she has to be like a crazed, over the top John Waters <laughs> character yeah. is great. You know, when she really dips into that Faye Dunaway, uh, Mommy Dearest. Oh, absolutely. uh, Kind of look with the crazy hair. Like, oh. And you get shades of, like, Piper Laurie in Carrie. Mm -hmm. You know, a real great psycho mother figure. But her serious, demure, charming scenes are so good. She's great in this. Yeah. And there's a very telling scene. One of the scenes that really stuck out to me is when cops finally do show up because they've been hearing gunshots. Mm-hmm. And uh, and these two psychos are able to turn on the charm and serve tea and cookies and yeah. sweet talk to cops and yeah, you know, it's really get, you know get away with all of this because probably because they're white people. Yeah, when we talk about relevancy in nice 2020, house. we're looking at these two abs. We talked about Bad Lieutenant uh, just a couple weeks ago, where Harvey Keitel's an absolute psychopath, yet he's treated like a very normal coworker. By all of his cop buddies, and uh, this guy's life is in a shambles. Right. And he is viewed as, like, a yeah, pretty normal guy. Like, and then with their situation, they are given every benefit of the doubt exactly. by the police force. And these people are absolute maniacs. Right. You know, and they are able to just get that benefit of the doubt and use it to their easy advantage. And that is just such a thing we are seeing in greater detail now. Mm-hmm. It's insane. There's no reason these movies should be worse situations <laughs> than they were when they came out. It's awful. But yeah, it's such an important scene. And it's like that scene we watched in Get Out where the mask comes off and really you see exactly what they're doing. You see how mm-hmm. manipulative they can be. You see how they get in these situations. Really similar movies with very different paths taken within them. Yeah. Well, and th- this movie makes a very uh, strong point of noting that this family, uh, this white family, is this inbred, yeah, you know, singular kind of. This is this crazy generational thing wealth. that that's been allowed to continue and to uh, yeah continue to accumulate wealth, even though it's all fucked up and yeah, everybody knows it's wrong what's going on in that house, but it's allowed to continue and go unchecked, and, and it's so much worse. 30 years later. Yeah. Now that we have, you know, a trillionaire. You know, now that we have all these... Bi- this movie is so over the top, like we said, with their Scrooge McDuck <laughs> parallels, where they have, like, this big old just money room. Literal, A yeah, big old treasure a room. literal safe with in all the basement. my gold coins that are worth thousands each. And, oh my gosh, just my money basement. You know, just throw that money anywhere, just in the corner, where you know, wherever. Yeah, I love no, these. No need to organize the money. Just we got s- literal sacks. Well, I love that uh, McGill and Roby, who are you know, mo- mommy and daddy in the movie. Yeah, yeah. 
Ugh. And yeah, I, know, uh, right? I love how, you know, decrepit and falling apart Greg Gardens, their mansion is to really hammer home the point that like, yeah, these people are just hoarding this money. Yeah, that's all they want. They just want more money. And oh, my God, when has that ever been more true? These people who have so many billions of dollars, billions mm-hmm. of dollars. People don't understand how much a billion dollars is, you know? That you and I could get $10,000 a day given to us for the rest of our lives and never become, never come 1% one, 1 to a billionaire by the end of our lives. It's insane. There shouldn't be billionaires. Wow. So these people, you know, people just don't understand how big a difference between a billion and a million is. Right. A billion is another light universe away. It's a million million. Yeah. It's insane. Hmm. And so in this movie... They live in this decrepit mansion, and they are only getting more money, which is all they want, just to get more money. They're not putting it to anything. They just want it so others don't have it. Right. And that's where we're at still, and it's so much worse. And it's terrifying. People just want more money. And they're hoarding people. Yeah. Under the stairs. A lot of people under those stairs. At least four dozen. I never really figured out why are they keeping all those, like, that's got to be so much work to have all these people under your stairs. It's a full-time job. Why are you doing it? These are Let the most go. needlessly hardworking land lo- landlords <laughs> in history. Other landlords just get to get money. Yeah. These people are like, uh, well, I guess we'll voluntarily be the charge of 30 mutant children. <laughs> oh, bad decision making from, from mother and father over here. I don't get here. it, man. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get the people under the stairs, <laughs> but I love the people under the stairs. It's a fun movie. It's yeah. a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, there's some great... Just over the top, uh, out of nowhere, you get the gimp suit. I don't even know how to describe. Ever McGill gimp suit is legendary. What's going that on That thing there? needs to be, uh, maybe not the Smithsonian, but I no. want to know who owns that suit. That needs to be a... Well, oh God, it was uh, in the you... credits. What was it? It was provided... Oh, provided oh, by like Wayne's Leatherneck uh, Wayne's leather rack. Leather rack. Yeah, I want to say it was yeah provided by Wayne's leather rack. If you guys know Wayne and uh, his leather rack, let I want to know where. Let this him McGill know people are enjoying his work because this is straight up leather daddy road warrior. It makes the gimp gear. suit in Pulp Fiction look like fucking child's play bullshit baby toys. Yeah, this thing is decked out like studs. Uh, it looks like loops. something you'd see in any apocalyptic movie or any kind of vigilante movie. Yeah. Or some, you know, it, look, it looks like out of Mandy. Definitely. One of the, he he the looks like one of those bikers members. in Mandy, for sure. And yeah. he's toting this shotgun with unlimited rounds. Pretty cool, pretty cool cheat. This dude's just shooting up his house. He's never, re- he never reloads that shotgun once no, in this man, movie. No, man, this guy's got an infinite shotgun. It's pretty sick. And he is just blowing holes through... Yeah. Wall. For a house that's so locked down, the prison household with all its reinforced window, I love that stuff scares me, man. Yeah, right. But you'd think there'd be enough holes through this thing by now. Because this guy is just firing off shots like he's, you know, eating chips. He is. He's he's gun crazy. <laughs> yeah. But also when he like pulls the gun out from like the, the desk. Yeah. And he's got like hiding places for his guns. Oh like, man! Like that's a real thing. People yeah, have yeah, yeah. in their people houses. Have those. Yeah, that's not actually under that my fun. headboard gun shelf. Yeah, the, the yeah, exactly the. So yeah, the he gun has all these like the chair thing, secret panels in the walls and in the cupboards, and I, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love uh, weird maze houses, 
And the yeah. maze house in this one is really fun. Feels like like a cartoon Looney Tunes version of a Rob Zombie house. All the houses in every Rob Zombie movie are the most squalid, depressing, right. <laughs> dusty places you've ever been in. Man, the yeah, the interiors in this movie, in both the ghetto scene and in this house. Yeah, yeah. Just really awful, like Cormac McCarthy type shit. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really into it's it. Like when the when this disgusting. movie really goes for it, it's it's so strong and you know, really feels from the heart in a lot of ways for such a ridiculous presentation. And even with the third act getting crazy, I still kind of find it more endearing now uh, than before, you know, when it goes full Home Alone. Yeah. Yeah, and he this... goes back in to get Alice. It's a whole thing, guys. You should see it. But yeah, the, yeah. the, the movie ends <laughs> with the house blowing up. It's... Kind of. Enough to blow money. It's such enough. a funny little ending. Enough. enough. It blows up enough. It's pretty good. It, for me... That was good. That we was get a. Gr- I, I do like our Dawn of the Dead kind of ending. Oh yeah, the swarming chuds. No, you were talking about you when you said uh, six. To, like no, that that's a full kitchen. There was so many chuds. There were so many people under the stairs. Yeah, people in the kitchen just I didn't swarming understand. in. Oh man, the end when they're bursting through all the shotgun loosened walls yeah. of the the house. It's good. No, it was a. Total- I don't understand them, but I liked the visual. <laughs> Yeah, you exactly. Know, looks like uh, well, that's why it was, it was. Yeah, it was one of the things where it felt like Craven maybe just goes like, "Well, I really want to do a Texas Chainsaw type movie, okay, but I also want to do like Day of the Dead, where they're like trapped in a bunker and uh-huh. then the zombies still come through the floor. Okay, <laughs> I can do that too. Okay, I can do that too. But also, you know that scene <laughs> in Batman '89 where the money's flying through the parade. Yeah. I kind of want to do that too. I want. <laughs> It really did feel like Wes Craven got to do a lot of things he wanted to do. Yeah. And guess what? It made like four times as much as it cost. So I'm hey. glad he did. But yeah, my, my moods definitely change the more times I see this movie. It really has kind of wormed its way into my heart for all its weird excesses. Yeah. And all its weird uh, kind of lighter 80s horror soundtracks. It almost has kind of a Looney Tunes soundtrack at times. There's a lot of boom, 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 boom. But, you know, like, instead of your well straight done. up 80s horror score. Right. Uh, so it's just got a weird vibe to it anyway, which Craven was kind of doing weird vibes. Cause Deadly Friend a few years before is one of the strangest tones for a movie hmm. possible. I don't know if I've ever seen that one. It's like Small, it's on one, small Wonder, but if the robot's also uh, violent. I don't know. Is it's it a weird. robot thing? Yeah. Oh, cool. It's a robot thing. I like but, killer robot movies. Yeah, but it's it's the kind of robot movie where the robot talks in a weird, lame voice. Hmm. Like, like they're all Johnny Five all of a sudden. Boy, I'm deadly friend. Yeah, they're all got like a weird robot accent. <laughs> it's like, that's what they programmed it in there? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why that was a trend, but that's... So Wes Craven was doing weird things. And again, I love it. because he has such amazingly high pillars mm-hmm. of the genre his still super successful but lower budget stuff just kind of gets lost so i'm kind of glad that this was the first craven movie we it's did pretty cool i i think it i i dig it yeah yeah I'm i dig it, it and again sure. it just like these last few weeks the movies we've done this one honestly just hits me a little harder right now with everything that's going on it just kind of gets me a little more these movies are just 
being better viewed for me right now. Mm-hmm. They're at their most effective as art and as a statement right now. So I hate that it's like that, but, you know, shows that it's uh, kind of been a trend, so it's got to change at some point. Well, you know, it, it's uh, this movie maybe goes in kind of, yeah, it's it's in that pantheon of films that just by the very nature of casting are able to make a statement, mm-hmm. you know, like Night of the Living Dead. Totally. Uh, this is a movie. Great example. This is a movie that would be 100% different if the casting was different. You yeah. Know? And it could have gone that way. Craven was smart enough to know that he could throw in this uh, angle with the, you know, the wealthy landlord, yeah. the white landlord, the people in the ghetto. Uh, it's and, one of those, you know, and, you make know a, he doesn't make it too heavy handed or anything. No, it's make know? a cool exploitation movie, but put a strong message in there. Yeah. And I love that that guy's doing that kind of thing. You know, the guy's a legend. A legend. Yeah. And uh, People Under the Stairs is just such a, now more than ever, feels like the right time to see this movie. If it's one you haven't seen since it's, you know, not as hailed, or if it's just one you haven't seen in a decade, that's a good time. I think it'll hit you a little bit different now. If nothing else, dude, check out that box art. Yeah, check out the box art. Tell me that cover with the skull over the house doesn't rule. At minimum, you get... Wendy Roby, Ving Rames, Everett oh, yeah. McGill, like legendary genre roles. Some good right stuff. Here. So, yeah, man, it came to this. It came to this. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank uh, you. Again, we'll I'm back. Charlie. I'm Eric. We are watching movies. We'll see you next week. Very soon. Good night.